The following podcast contains audio extracted from videos on the Mythology Explained YouTube channel. Please note that there are two narrators for this podcast, myself, Silas, and Zach. Please enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to Mythology Explained. In today's video, we're going to take a dip in some controversial waters by exploring whether Gaia was in fact the most evil god in Greek mythology. This is definitely an unorthodox question. I mean, has the word evil and the name Gaia even been used in the same sentence before? But if you detach yourself from how she is usually portrayed and what she usually represents, and instead consider her role in the sequence of great conflicts that constitute the Greek creation myth, then you begin to see her in an entirely different light. One that doesn't paint such a flattering portrait of her. Now, Gaia is one of my favorite figures in Greek mythology, and no, I don't really think she's evil. But if you add up everything she does throughout the Greek creation myth, the result is certainly more open to interpretation than you would think. What this video aims to do is look at the causation behind each of the great conflicts embedded in the Greek creation myth, with the goal of seeing how Gaia factors in as a catalyst, thereby developing the basis on which we'll judge where Gaia falls on the spectrum of good and evil. Was she truly a force for good in the wellspring of life? Or was she really a source of insidious evil bent on creating strife and sorrow? There were four instances of conflict that define the Greek creation myth. Here they are in order. There was the rise of Cronus, there was the war against the titans, called the Titanomachy, there was the war against the giants, called the Gigantomachy, and finally there was the battle against the monster Typhon. To fully understand the depth of Gaia's involvement, we have to start at the beginning of the Greek creation myth going to gloss over the moments that don't feature her as a central figure. In the beginning, there was the great void chaos. From this void emerged the first of the primordial deities. Gaia, the personification of the earth, was one of these, and she went on to independently produce three children, three second-generation primordial deities who would be aspects of the material world. These were Uranus, the sky, Urea, the mountains, and Pontus, the sea. Gaia took Uranus as her consort, and together they had three groups of children, three hecatonkeries, hundred-handed monsters of unmatched size and strength, three cyclopes, colossal humanoids with but a single large eye affixed to their faces, and finally twelve titans. Uranus thought the hecatonkeries and the cyclopes were abominations, so he kept them imprisoned within Gaia, which was deeply painful for her, so she implored her children, the titans, to turn against their father and extricate her from her plight. Cronus lay in wait and then ambushed his father, using a sickle of adamant, which Gaia fashioned for him, to castrate and dispose of Uranus. This is a good moment for us to take a step back and examine Gaia's involvement thus far. She talked her children into a violent uprising against their father, also one of her children, and she produced the weapon, the sickle of adamant, that would be instrumental to the revolt. Now, this isn't an indictment on Gaia's actions. She created life and freed herself from an excruciating situation, the first laudable, the second justified, but she was, undeniably, at the heart of it all. Once the reins of power were in his grasp, Cronus opted not to free the Hecatonchires or the Cyclopes, perpetuating Gaia's torment, truly a duplicitous act, for it was for this purpose that Gaia empowered him in the first place. Following this, Gaia informed Cronus of a prophecy that foretold one of his sons usurping him. Cronus's response to this information was to swallow his children one at a time, as soon as they're born, imprisoning them inside himself and leaving his wife, Rhea, with nothing but woe. This begs the question, 
Why would Gaia equip Cronus, who played her like a fiddle, with information that would help him forestall the prophecy and prolong his rule? This makes no sense. Wouldn't she want Cronus overthrown for the possibility of the next king freeing the children trapped inside of her? And the situation becomes exponentially more confounding, for it was Gaia who told Rhea how to save her youngest child, Zeus. Gaia concocted a plan whereby Rhea travelled to Lycos, where the bosom of the earth would grant her son succour. Let's take another pause and examine what just transpired. Gaia divulged information that could only push Cronus towards subjugating his children, but at the same time, through Gaia's machinations and support, Zeus was raised in secret so that he could liberate his imprisoned brothers and sisters by forcing Cronus to disgorge them? Can you think of a better way to start a war? Why didn't she just keep her mouth shut in the first place? Moving on, war between the gods and the titans ensues. Per Apollodorus' account, after ten years of fighting, the war had ground to a halt and had become a protracted war of attrition. Neither side could claim a meaningful advantage over the other. At this point, Gaia lubricated things by divulging another prophecy, that the gods would claim victory if they rescued the Hecatonchres and the Cyclopes from Tartarus. With a combined arm count of 300 and surging with unparalleled strength, the Hecatonchres unleashed an onslaught of boulders, and the Cyclopes were no less helpful, creating the three most powerful weapons in Greek mythology and gifting them to the gods. Bolstered by these reinforcements, the war was quickly brought to an end, and all of the titans who fought against the gods were banished to Tartarus. Though the Hecatonchres and the Cyclopes were liberated, the titans quickly took their place, once again subjecting Gaia to the incessant agony of having her children trapped deep within the earth. This infuriated Gaia, who birthed the giants after she's impregnated by the droplets of blood that fell from Uranus's severed genitals. The Gigantomachy, the war between the gods and the giants, followed. All of the giants were killed, which, in turn, further infuriated Gaia, catalyzing her into a sexual union with Tartarus, producing Typhon, the most powerful monster in all of Greek mythology. But Typhon was killed, and his death marked the crystallization of the cosmic hierarchy. There would be no new gods or monsters born with the power to challenge Zeus. One might have been born, mothered by the goddess Metis, but that was nipped in the bud. Let's tally Gaia's involvement. She convinces one of her children to castrate and thereby usurp their father. She divulges prophetic information that could only result in Cronus resorting to drastic action to keep his crown, something like the gods, Gaia's grandchildren, being swallowed. She rescues her youngest grandchild and raises him in secret, which could only result in war. She creates the giants in retaliation for her children, the titans, being imprisoned, when that was the only possible outcome that could manifest from her sharing that prophecy with Cronus, rescuing Zeus and then counseling the gods to free the Hecatonchres and the Cyclopes, and finally she creates the most powerful monster in all of Greek mythology as retribution for the gods killing the giants. When you compile her involvement and lay it all out sequentially, there's definitely an interpretation that makes Gaia seem like some malevolent mastermind potent and pernicious combination of broodmother and puppet master responsible for multiple wars. This isn't to say that Gaia was an evil god, far from it. She was so revered that neither Zeus, Poseidon, nor Hades claimed the earth for their own, opting instead to share stewardship of it. Also, there's a strong argument for Gaia's actions being justified. She was a caring mother who just didn't want the pain of having her children imprisoned, for her sake and for theirs. It's interesting though to contemplate other interpretations, even if they do venture into far-fetched and outlandish territory. And when you string all of her actions together as they pertain to the Greek creation myth, it's fun to look at her through other lenses. 
And that's it for this video. If you enjoy the content, please like the video and subscribe to the channel. As always, leave your video suggestions down below.